You're listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the Racehorse Owners Association, and the racing app in partnership with Fitzdares. Good morning, welcome to the show bright and early this Monday morning, Monday, February the 12th. It's dry, it's dried up here in TW11 and threatening to be quite a pleasant day as well as we build this week in this country at any rate towards the delights of of this Saturday which could include a return of one of the leading fancies from this side of the Irish Sea for the Cheltenham Gold Cup, Lom Presse, who's got a date with Ascot at the weekend and there's no doubt that the Gold Cup picture was enhanced considerably by the fact that Shishkin, about whom we spoke so extensively to trainer Nicky Henderson on Friday, came through his test more than adequately at Newbury with a affluent and convincing success uh, in the Denman chase. However, he has his own way of doing things nowadays, even if he does consent to start the race, which of course he didn't earlier on in the season at Ascot. That said, Nicky Henderson was confident, and he was right to be confident, that not only would he start, he'd win. Lee Moss said, senior writer from the Racing Post, is with me this morning. Lee, can he win a Gold Cup? He can win a Gold Cup, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're on to a, a Racing Post rating of 174 on Saturday, which would, I think, in an average normal Gold Cup, put him well in the mix. I think the the, the problem that Nicky Henderson and I think Nico de Bonville have both referenced over the weekend is that it probably won't be a normal Gold Cup, assuming Galapan Deschamps is there at the tape um but i think with shishkin although there are clearly queries question marks and concerns there is still plenty of upside um i was at newbury on saturday nick i was actually down at the three mile start on saturday i i trolled across there thinking that there could be a bit of drama and something for color writer to write about but actually he was Wonderful. There was no hint at all of any trouble um, from Shishkin. He was as good as gold at a start that could have caused trouble, given that the action was behind him, the stables were behind him. Um, He was very good. As you say, he has his own way of doing things in a race. He um, he, he's not pretty to watch, is he, compared to some uh, top class chasers? The jockey has to urge him along now and again. He was less than fluent at some of his fences that was a concern for me um because we know how quickly the fences come along down the back straight at Cheltenham and if you don't get into a rhythm um that can really hold you back so I I think you'll need to jump better in a gold cup to remain competitive because I don't think he's the sort of horse that if he makes a couple of mistakes and drops off the pace he'll necessarily enjoy it However, the upside is that he can still run big figures. He ran one on Saturday. And again, there's been one constant in Shishkin's racing life is that when he he starts, I mean, he always does start, he finishes extremely strongly. Should we talk about Lompresse, who runs this weekend at at Ascot? That's a more unusual preparation, coming back to two and a half miles or an extended two and a half miles. And now by by current modern-day standards, closer to the main event than people tend to go for these days uh, this is a race of course that was won by Corto Star back in 2008 before he was defeated by Denman in the Gold Cup and it was also a race that was won by by Q Card who went on to run a fine race in the Gold Cup but never managed to win one falling when looking likely to that's right Nick. and you say by modern standards and you you're absolutely right but it wasn't it wasn't that long ago that you would regularly see Gold Cup horses running one week later 
in the the racing post chase horses like desert orchid the fellow use the racing post chase on the way to the gold cup if you rerun back even further uh, in silver bucks year back in 1982 he won a market raise and handicap chase carrying 12 stone 7 12 days before the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Times have changed, methods have changed, cultures have changed. This race is no longer one that you would necessarily expect to see a Gold Cup horse in. Um, but I think they're doing the right thing, not least because it's a £175,000 grade one. It's a very, very valuable race. It's a race that might well not necessarily have the deepest field um it will be small it will be select but if long press say he's going to win a cheltenham gold cup he's going to need to win a race like this it will help to put more speed into him i think on the way to the gold cup and i applaud them for going there right onwards and to edward stone who was very good when making all the running to win the game spirit chase the tactical change was the most interesting thing about this race but he dispatched inferiors with ease and in a good time as well and we'll talk about whether time's reflected the accurate going description later in the programme. First of all, though, Edward Stone's rider, Tom Cannon, I asked him how long this had been in the planning. Um, well, I mean, obviously, we didn't really need to consider changing tactics in his novice season because he was fairly unbeaten in that season. Um, you know, last year he wasn't quite right, so I don't think it would have mattered what we'd have done with him. He probably, you know, he just wasn't 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 right for whatever reason. And then this year he's come back, and you know, I was very happy with him in the Schlumber chase, albeit he may have probably needed the run. Um, you know, felt as good as ever in the Tingle Creek, but you know, we still weren't able to you know get past John Bond. So that's when it sort of you know we actually thought well, we've got to change something. Um, so after after the Tingle Creek, it was half you know in our minds maybe we could could go forward with him a bit more but at the same time there was the option of maybe going two and a half and and and, and avoiding John Bond which looked like the sensible option so um you know we tried that that didn't work out because you know he's a he's, he's a fast horse and you know he he travels well over two miles and, and two and a half just stretched him so obviously it was um you know back to Newbury back to two miles he was um fit and ready to go and um, the horses were in good nick so it was sort of you know if it, if it was ever a case of um you know trying something different that was a day and um you know thankfully it worked out so um yeah that's kind of the, the thought process anyway the time was pretty good and he looked very good but we don't really know how he felt because we we weren't riding him you were and I was fascinated there to say that to hear you say that you felt he just wasn't really on his game last year even though he ran some terrific races yeah he, he, you know he, he obviously won the Tingle Creek first time out which was, was a good very good run um, you know he was unlucky probably not to have win, win the rearranged Clarence House chase when it went to Cheltenham you know the ground was a bit slow and you know, he got beaten by a good horse and to Dijit that day. Um, and then after that, you know, he never really fired in the champion chase. Um, but, you know, since he's come back this year, you know, his first run around Cheltenham, he, you know, picked up the bridle with me and, and travelled through the race well. So, you know, he's, he's been in much better form this year. And, yeah, I mean, going back to Saturday's race, you know, I, I was I had a quick look down the back and thought, Christ, you know, I, I could believe quite how far clear I was. And then after that, it was a case of just, you know, filling him up and make sure he got round, really. And so do you think against sterner opposition, and it will be significantly sterner opposition, that that um, tactical adjustment can give him an advantage or at least bridge the gap, say, between him and John Bond? Yeah, I mean, obviously Cheltenham would be a different uh, different ball game. Um, you know, I, I like to think he'd, he'd operate on, on better ground, you know, just as well. But, um, you know, if he turns up in the same heart and, and gets into a rhythm early like that, um, you know, he'll put any horse under pressure. Um you know, it'll, it'll expose the chinks in any horse, hopefully. So, um, look, we've got to get there first. And, um, 
you know, things things have got to go right between now and then. But hopefully, if he turns up in the same heart and and, and can do the same thing, then it, he'll make a race for it anyway. Every jockey needs a horse like him, don't they? I mean, he he is he's become a bit of a defining horse for you. Yeah, he has. You know, he's um, you know, I've ridden him all the way through. I mean, I didn't ride him in his bumpers, but since he's been hurdling, I mean, he beat Fiddler on the Roof. You know, first time out around Kempton. I'm sorry, around Wincanton over hurdles. Um, and was good that year and, and he's progressed nice as he's gone you know he's, he's been a you know real work in progress sort of to get to stage he's 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 been at with um you know the, the way king he's trained him and and how the owners have, have minded him as well um you know it's, it's, it's been a sort of my point of view a master class on sort of how to you know how how the top trainers bring a you know a good horse through the ranks really because uh you know there's lots of things where you know they could have gone this way could have gone that way and you know it's obviously a well-trodden path for you know, Kingy with bringing these horses on that, um, you know, he's got to where he's got and, um, you know, a lot of credit needs to go to him. All right, that was Tom Cannon. And suddenly the champion chase becomes 20 times more interesting, Lee Motta said. Does Edward Stone suddenly become a much more interesting horse now than he was on Friday, even though he's beaten, with no disrespect to them, horses that he had every right to be beating? Undoubtedly it does. Yeah, I mean, again, on the figures, I don't have figures, I'm racing post figures, he's only run one pound off his PB. Um, and I think visually you can see why um, a handicapper came up with that figure. That performance on Saturday, Nick, was an absolute joy to watch. Um, Edward Stone had become a horse who was on the downgrade and was significantly, I think, on the downgrade based on his Kempton performance. Um, he hadn't been as good this season. His best run was that second to John Bond in the Tingle Creek, but that was still a run that said to you, this is not a horse that can win a champion chase anymore. Hence why Alan King went up in distance at Kempton. He was like a different animal on Saturday. Effect, again, as we said in relation to the Gold Cup, Edward Stone will be taking on a fearsome rival in El Fabiolo. On the figures, he probably can't beat El Fabiolo, but all horses have off days. If El Fabiolo is not right at his very best, and if Edward Stone is, and if he runs with the flair and verve that we showed on Saturday, again, he could be a player. And Nicky Henderson won yet another bet for Hurdle with Iberico Lord. I, I don't think this horse is, is done winning handicaps yet, Lee. I don't know what you think. I mean, the handicapper will be the person who ultimately decides that, but I, I suspect we're talking about a graded horse anyway, so that might be academic. Yeah, I suspect you're right, Nick. Um, and it, it was good to see that, that sort of performance in the race. I referenced in my in my post piece how uh, back in uh, 2004, 20 years ago, when Rooster Booster uh, was just touched off by Geos, I think it was 13 of the 25 runners held higher ratings than the top weight on Saturday, underlining the paucity of two-mile talent in the, the hurdling ranks. So what you wanted to see was a victory by a horse who could greatly exceed his rating going forward. And I agree with you. I think if Berico Lord could, he's still a lightly raced animal. Uh, there was plainly plenty of confidence behind him on Saturday. We heard that before the race. I had plenty of it after the race um, as well. You can say with hindsight, he was only four pounds higher than for his great wood win. He must have had a massive chance. Well, he did, but he was ridden confidently. He won a competitive uh, event with plenty in hand. And she say there's almost certainly still a handicap in him if the handicapper isn't too um, peeved and the county hurdle must be an obvious target. And for all of that, uh, the brightest star might have shone the other side of the water. 
this weekend, Lee, because brighter days ahead looked a, a superb prospect for Jack Kennedy and, and Gordon Elliott in the mayor's hurdle at, at Navan. I, I thought this was a timely success for owner, trainer, jockey after what was probably quite a challenging week last week. Gordon Elliott's comments after the race um, were extremely positive as well, so much so that he he even referenced the fact that he isn't usually this positive um, about a mare, but she'll go to the mare's novice hurdle with a big chance. Um, American Mike also won for the stable in one of the day's group uh, grade twos uh, when the 10 up novices chase. It was a slow motion finish. Again, it wasn't a pretty race to watch, but he showed a good attitude in the Boyne hurdle, Hidden Valley Lake. Um, was a ready winner of that one. Second start of the season, had tipped up of offences on his first start. Not necessarily sure we'll see him at the Cheltenham Festival based on what they were saying after the race. We will, of course, be seeing Galvin, Delta Work and Cider Burley, three Gordon Elliott train horses who know all about the, the Cheltenham Festival. They finished fourth, sixth and seventh in that race. Galvin and Delta Work will go on to the cross-country chase. Cider Belay will go back to the Stairs hurdle and I don't think any of them necessarily did any harm to their Cheltenham chances on Saturday. Cider Belay was beaten an awfully long way, but you'd expect him yeah. to be beaten an awfully long way, wouldn't you? Wouldn't before... worry about that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the, the, the two cross-country horses ran really well one thing that i would just say about um about navin um on saturday was there's a narrative builds up that prize money in ireland is always superior to prize money in britain um uh, including towards the the top of the the graded pyramid I, i've made the point in the racing post that, that isn't necessarily always the case and it certainly wasn't on saturday you had those two grade two races the boyne hurdle and the 10 up novices chase they were both sponsored their total prize fund was thirty six and a half thousand euro which equates to just over thirty one thousand pounds on saturday uh the the two grade twos at newbury the denman and the game spirit chase they had prize money increases this year they previously were lamentably low at fifty thousand pounds they're now eighty five thousand pounds um the kingmaker novices chase had it been run at war it would have been worth seventy five thousand pounds so both double the the value of those Navan grade twos on Sunday. So just again a, a reminder that it's easy, a bit like Trumpian politics. You can you can come to mm. uh, just accept something as stated fact. Well, it's not always the fact that Irish prize money is better than in Britain. And on Sunday at Navan, those two grade twos were terribly low in prize money. Yes, indeed. And actually, if you look on the flat as well, if you look at the prize money at Ascot and York, for example their big festivals stand up just about against anywhere in the world. It's just the infrequency of something at that very top end, I think, you know, that that tends to to tip people over the edge when it comes to talking about prize money in this country, which we do an awful lot on this program. I think yeah. that's a very I think it's a very good point, Lee. There's another point on a similar theme that I'd like to make, and that is that the Betfair hurdle had a full well, had a full declared field. Now, we'll come to the ground in a minute, which was described as heavy. And there were one or two withdrawals in the race, but there were 25 initially declared and the reserve got in. And there was still a still a massive field for that. Now, if you go back to editions of this race that were run in the in the late 1980s, and I can pull one up for you at will, 1989, the race was won by Grey Salute, beat Vicario de Bray and Cashew King. Good horses all. 
in a field of 10 mm. for the Betfair hurdle. And there have been one or two editions lately that haven't filled that well. And we've been like, oh, typical because of the prize money and we can't, we don't have enough horses. There were, there were an intended 24 maximum field. So what that says about Newbury prize money, track, timing, people suddenly realising it's actually worth more than the Cheltenham Festival races of a, of a similar ilk. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. No, it's not. And yeah, I think I think that, that's a, a fair point to make, Nick. I, I remember writing a piece a while ago about the uh, then Tote Gold Trophy of 30 years ago when uh, large action, oh so risky and flaky dove filled the first three places, then filled the first three places in the champion hurdle. And I think in that year, there were probably only eleven or twelve runners in the race. It was a it was a small field. You, you do sometimes get these freakish occurrences. Was it Go Fast Hennessy that had about eight runners in it? Uh, and you sort of think, with hindsight, how on earth did that happen? It was good to see a proper field on Saturday. As I say, it wasn't there in terms of class and ratings, but that's a wider issue of British hurdling. But at least the race filled. And perhaps, as you say, Nick, people were realising, uh, participants were realising that look at the prize money compared to, again, the Cheltenham Festival handicaps. It dwarfs the Coral Cup and the County Hurdle, the sort of races that those horses might have been uh, potentially going for. So that was good news. One thing I was concerned about Newbury on Saturday again, Nick, was that although the attendance was up on last year it, it was reported watching on the telly well the telly. it it was reported as an estimated five thousand people oh my word now that's yeah it's appalling isn't it i mean that that again that day i referenced in the in the in the color piece that the the rooster booster geos renewal that had eleven and a half thousand which even that doesn't sound massive but five thousand people for a day that's build a super saturday that had britain's most valuable two-mile handicap hurdle or valuable handicap hurdle of any sort. It had two proper Cheltenham Festival trials and it could only pull in 5,000 people. There is definitely a thing this season of disappointing attendances mm. for major jump stays and newbury and in london, general has... london and london and the southeast well, i mean newbury, yeah. newbury's edging towards you know south central but it's it, it, it's it's the south southeast is faring poorly isn't it at the big tracks that's right sandown has been struggling uh, we know what happened at Kempton on King George Day. Numbers have fallen off a cliff for what is now the, the Coral Gold Cup in terms of attendances. There are definite concerns. We, we, there are lots of potential reasons given for this, not least the cost of, of going racing. And I saw some people in response to the piece I wrote highlighting the, uh, the relative value of attending the Dublin Racing Festival compared to going to Newbury on Saturday. But I think this is a... It's happening regularly enough now, Nick, for it to be a, a genuine problem and something that um, the sport needs to think hard about. Yeah, the industrial action on the railways is not helping matters, but that can't be a sole can't reason. always be the reason, no, can it? No, it can't be. I, I just, uh, again, we've plenty of bouquets for Newbury. I'm afraid a brick bat on the ground, on the going description, because if you're, even with good horses, if you're running chases at, at six minutes for just under three miles and at four minutes six, for the game spirit and the Betfair hurdle three fifty five, I, I don't I don't mind what your ground is, but it's not heavy. No, no, and to be fair, I think very quickly connections were saying on Saturday that it was riding better than they expected. Nicky Henderson um, made that point on on Saturday. Um, as far as I'm aware, the going description was maintained 
um, throughout the afternoon. But yes, you're, you're right. Those times did not indicate the ground was anywhere near as bad as was posted, or as I think we probably had come to expect. Bearing in mind how much how much rain uh, there was in the area in the days before Saturday. Very good racing at Exeter yesterday as well as what was going on in Ireland. And one of the feature races, the Mayor's race that was um, worthy of black type, went to Carol's Pass, who's from a wonderful jumping family. Her damn Carol spirit was very useful, racing the Paul Murphy colours. Grandam, uh, Carol's Crusader, uh, if I'm not much mistaken, was placed at the Cheltenham Festival at a big price as well and has produced some fantastic horses, including Carol's Legacy and, uh, and Mad Max. Um, Amy Murphy, Paul's daughter and trainer of Carol's Pass, is, is with me now. It's a great family story, this, Amy, and we might just be just be getting started. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's uh, it's a family very close to my father's heart and, you know, a family that he's invested uh, a lot of time and effort into uh, through the years. So um, delighted to see her sort of follow on from all of the other Carol's um, lines. Yeah, and the other thing about this family is that whilst there have been some very good geldings from it, it does seem to run strong in the female line. The, the mares come out and they're really good race mares. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, the thing you have to take with her is she's only a novice um, and she didn't look like a novice against those yesterday. Um, you know, this is obviously her first season under fences and we probably pitched her in at the deep end a little bit in, you know, against those older mares um, that, that, that that have got, uh, you know, good ratings. But she's uh, she's not let us down. And, and, and if anything, you know, over two and two and a half, she's, she's always looked in top gear, whereas yesterday she sort of, you know, that absolutely looked like it was... Um, you know her, her trip and, and she enjoyed every minute of it yeah you've beaten Melina girl who's a, a grand national fancy Galia de Litter who was second in the classic chase they're really hard knocking older uh, mares who, who've got you know they're right in the prime of their lives as well and you've absolutely thrashed them and the obvious question is well do you look for something at one of the spring festivals now yeah, I mean, certainly uh, my, my father's actually in uh, South Africa on safari at the moment, uh, although he did manage to watch it, which is uh, which was surprising to me. Um, but so I haven't had a chat with him yet. But uh, listen, he's very much, uh, he, he, he wouldn't want to throw into sort of, you know, anything at Cheltenham that she wasn't ready for because she is only a baby still. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a good sit down, you know, and I think uh, whether whether it be this side of the sea or, or, or island, um, we'll we'll try and find a you know a, a nice mare's race to, to, to go on to next and, and okay she's got she's got her, her winning black type now but is the idea that that she carries on racing for for the foreseeable oh yeah definitely yeah yeah absolutely no dad's all, dad's all for racing them um, she'll, she'll she'll be around for, for for a few seasons yet and uh um you know he loves to support those mares races and um and it's what sort of he's all about so uh no she's uh, she's done us all proud and um hopefully she can uh, carry on progressing through and i know you're about training any horse that comes into your yard whether they're a three mile chaser or a five furlong two-year-old i don't think there was a trainer who had a two-year-old winner earlier than you last year was there it, who trains in this country anyway yeah, no, we obviously won the first European two-year-old race of the year in, in, in Sonclu. In um, so, uh, no, the two-year-olds are, are gearing up well. We're sort of six weeks away now from from those French, early French. I mean, it's amazing to think that, you know, the French two-year-old programme gets going before England, but uh, that is the case. And um, we're, uh, we're, we're very much gearing up for those uh, middle of uh, March uh, French two-year-old races as, as we speak. Okay, who's the flying machine? 
<laughs> I can't tell you that, Nick. <laughs> no, listen, we've we, we've got a few 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 nice early types. Um, uh, uh, sort of a flag bearer for us this year uh, in geologist. We've got her brother by expert eye, who's called Rock Hunter. Uh, we've got a nice unnamed Kodiak filly that's also early. Um, so now we've got we have, um, we've got a you know we've got a mixture of sort of you know early ones as well as 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 well as a few more later maturing ones. So. Um, across the board I'm very happy with them Okay, Rock Hunter and an unnamed Kodiak look out for those as they appear are they both going to run in France do you think? Uh, yes, I would say they'll be yeah, they'll be they'll be our earlier earlier ones. Um, just I was just chatting to a couple of trainers a, a few weeks ago, and they were saying that that it was really hard to if you had an early two year old and you wanted to run them in say late March, early April in Britain, it was really hard to actually ring your owner and say, well, I want to run here because you didn't actually know when the races were and the program wasn't out until I think it's just, there's another raft of, uh, of fixture details come out today, I think, but it, it leaves you a bit late if you're planning for an early two year old, doesn't it? Well, not only that, I mean, it's stark going mad, you know, only yesterday I, uh, because you know, dad is a, is, is very fond of entry. Only yesterday I was, um, going on, you know, I wanted to go through the entry card to see what, what was available for Carol, and it's not there. It's not on Racing Admin. We're talking in Able. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it, it, whilst, it, you know, it's in, a, it's in an email format somewhere, it should be readily available two months before the programme. Yeah, that does seem anachronistic, doesn't it? I mean, I, I guess at Aintra you roughly know what the races are. But if, yeah, of course, of course. But if you're trying to work back, say, from, a, you know, if you, one of these horses, say you weren't going to France and you wanted to run him at, Lingfield or wherever or in the you know in one of the races that's not the Brocklesby you'd kind of like to know when they are wouldn't you so you can work backwards we are we are in early Feb after all yeah 100% I mean you know every trainer out there will tell you that um you know we're already penciling in older horses for for for, for where they're going to start off and and it should be the same with, with, with everything. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I think you know, it's certainly something that needs looking at in 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 2023. We don't need to be waiting till six weeks out uh, before you've actually got details of a race. No. 2024. Well, to be honest, the BHA might still think it's 2023, but it's definitely 2024. <laughs> oh, funny, brilliant, love it. <laughs> Amy, well done yesterday. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks so much. Take care. All right, well, there was a productive day also at Exeter for trainer Richard Hobson, whose Lord de Manil ran a nice warm-up race for something maybe a little bit bigger and a little bit better down the track. Now, he's old, this horse, Richard, but he's not getting any slower or worse by the looks of yesterday, and you've got a nice target for him. Tell us what it is. Yeah, he'll run in the ultimate in four weeks' time. He'll probably have... Um commute entry two over three and a quarter miles he he goes well around Cheltenham um just haven't really been ideal his handicap mark last couple of years ever since we're in the Grand National trial he's been carrying those big weights all the time and it's just been tough for him and because he wears his heart in his sleeves you know and he puts maximum effort into everything he does um he's he, he's just not to come down the handicap to a winnable mark um Really, and, and it's been tough for him in that in that respect. But hopefully, we're somewhere near, maybe him putting in a, a great performance and round Cheltenham where he loves over that extended trip. Um, be looking forward to it. Okay, um, I want to talk to you about Fugitive as well, who I thought ran a really good race when he was he was third over two miles in that rescheduled Clarence House. I mean, never looked like winning, but he wasn't beaten very far. Um, will that have brought him on for something? And if so, what? 
Yeah, the food sugar is more about sort of him to have an easy enough um, race without, without um, you know, sort of blowing the cobweb, blowing the cobwebs out, which was important, I guess, over the two miles and, and, and sharpening him up because he was tending to sort of get a little bit lazy in the last couple of races he's running. Um, and so we put the cheek piece on, ran him over two miles, and since then he's, he's just been electric. You know, he came out of the race extremely well. And all systems go for the right now. And that you're unequivocal about that. That is absolutely the race that he needs to be running in. Absolutely, yeah. The horse is improving all the time. Um, he's getting stronger all the time. Um, we will be stepping him up in trip. I mean, it sounds crazy that we were running him over two miles last last day, um, and I'm want, wanting to run him over three miles. But a strongly run race over two mile five nearly um, at Cheltenham next month is going to be right up his street. And we know, really, because we've spoken about this before on the podcast, this is all about Project Gold Cup 2025, isn't it? I hope so, you know, uh, I hope so one day, that would be the dream, um, but for me, it's absolutely no doubt in my mind, Nick, that um, he will stay three miles. But it's the Ryanair first. Richard, good luck, thanks so much. <laughs> Cheers, Nick, thank you. All right, the next episode of my American series of interviews is out now. I uploaded it last night onto the podcast feed of the USA Interviews episode two with Stuart Janney third the chair of the American Jockey Club. Of course, you'll remember that big owner Mike Rapolia challenged Janny to appear on the podcast uh, and felt that he, he wouldn't. Well, he has. And he is the man who really set the ball rolling with others uh, when it came to uh, the wiretaps that caught Jason Service and Jorge Navarro and others in the biggest doping scandal to hit US horse racing history. This is a taster of what you can enjoy in a, an hour and a quarter long interview with Stuart Janney covering all aspects of horse racing in this critical time. And uh, this is the moment where I, I asked him what it was that really spurred him on to trying to root out uh, the dopers in the sport. Well, first of all, um, there were people that, whose judgment I respect who told me from their perspective that they thought things were veering way off course, that drug drugging was a problem before now it was becoming an epidemic. And I know the day that, that, um, uh, that I just in a sense snapped, uh, it, uh, it was one of those great fall days at Belmont where there were four or five good stakes races. And I can't remember whether I was in one of them or somewhere on the undercard, whatever, but I was there. And I was convinced that pretty much all those races had been won by people that were taking an edge. In fact, I can remember going into the men's room to avoid congratulating somebody who just won a race because I didn't think they deserved it. And why, why? What What was it that made you so convinced? Because we all, we've all heard racecourse rumour, gossip, whisper, oh, this trainer must be a juicer, this person must be up to no good, this horse is re-breaking. We've heard all this stuff. How, how from your experience and what you were hearing anecdotally, did you know in your heart that this was happening? Well, I don't think you know in your heart but you, you just don't believe the alternative. And it's for all those reasons that you've just mentioned. Horses re-breaking in the stretch. They're not really re-breaking. The other horses are slowing down. 
and they're able to run through those horses because they've got better oxygen content in their blood, I think. Um, it's looking at a horse and going back through their pedigree and seeing there's not one single ancestor that's ever accomplished what this horse just accomplished. Now, that isn't to say that it can't happen, but when it happens weekend after weekend, I think you need to be suspicious. It's when you see gaudy trainer statistics, you know, almost anybody in the Hall of Fame that's a trainer is somewhere around 20% winners. Well, there were people that were 30%. These are not geniuses. I can remember having a conversation with one trainer, leading trainer, and saying, look, um, this other trainer that's doing awful well, I understand your work habits, but I'm hearing his work habits are not so great. Well, how come he's beating you all the time? You know, things like that. I mean, it was a combination of things. And I just said to myself, look, when you get into this sport, you better recognize that 80% of the time you're going to get beat and then you're doing fine. But if you are going to get beat more than that, and you're going to believe that the people that beat you are cheating, I certainly hope you're not going to stay in the sport. I mean, had I not been able to feel that we could make progress, I would have been long gone. There's no way in the world I would have stayed in the sport. When, when Maximum Security passed the post first in the Kentucky Derby in, in 2019, did, did you know for sure, did you know by then that Jason Service was, was one of the guys who was routinely doping his horses? Yes. How did that make you feel when you saw the horse pass the post in front in the full I, knowledge that this guy was under, under the microscope and that you had evidence that he was doping? How did it make you feel that the sport could, could see that unwittingly? Well, I mean, first of all, sick, that that was the result. But I always felt that in order for the sport to recover, it had to understand how far it had fallen. I mean, that's sort of the lingo that you would hear about people that have got, you know, challenges with substances or something else. You have to know where you are before you can get better. And it would be lovely and in any world to be able to correct something without there being evidence of a problem. So in a sense, I was sick. On the other hand, I said, you know, if this all plays out the way it might, this will give impetus to getting to a better place. Stuart Janney there, chairman of the American Jockey Club, uh, and we recorded that interview a week or so ago, and it was uploaded last night, so it's freely available in all its hour-long glory. But that's just a taster of it. And for all we know, there have been problems. For all we're familiar with the service and Navarro case now, both men incarcerated for their crimes, Lee Motta said, to hear what went on behind it and to hear it expressed in those terms is still quite shocking, or at least gives you a jolt. To hear someone like that say it with the the clarity and the conviction with which he did say it 
still sends a bit of a shiver down the spine. Um, and it would indicate that from his perspective, horse racing in America um, has been um, something not far um, off resembling um, road cycling in mm. its bad old days. You know, that made you think that he was talking about a sport that had a that had comparisons to the Tour de France in the in the Lance Armstrong era and beyond. Doesn't make for happy listening, no. except for the fact that he was prepared to say it. Yes. What worried me, I think, more than anything, and there was still that lingering over the over the whole interview, was that you couldn't be convinced, even though he was a, obviously a massive supporter of what Heiser are doing, you yeah. couldn't be convinced. And this applies everywhere in the world. And this is not just an American problem. It applies here, Ireland, Australia, everywhere. You know, we're quite good at detecting what can be detected. And really, that was what we took from it. It needed wiretaps to bust these yeah. people. And you couldn't be convinced that even what they're doing now would have busted them. All right, then. That second episode of the USA Interviews brought to you by the Nick Luck Daily Podcast, available now wherever you get your podcasts on this feed. Grateful to Whitehorse Insurance at Whitehorse INS for supporting that episode. All right, you will have remembered the end of last year, we spent a lot of time lingering over the history-making exploits of the brilliant Hong Kong superstar Myler Golden 60 and his equally likeable rider, Vincent Ho. Subsequent to that, things haven't gone great for either of them. Golden 60's picked up a soft tissue injury, and Vincent Ho himself has suffered his second pretty horrific fall in the space of just a few months. First it was Japan, then in Sha Tin the other day, he really was um, treated to a, to a humdinger, and, and everyone was left heart and mouth really very worried about Vincent. Um, pleasingly, this has had a much less grave conclusion than perhaps seemed likely, and Vincent can join me now. Vincent, how are you getting on uh, and how are you looking toward getting back in the saddle? Perhaps, perhaps, if Golden 60 can get back for the big fixture in April. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me again. And uh, now I'm grateful that I'm, you know, uh, still well. Uh, you know, of course, uh, got some injury uh, from my neck and uh, also my finger got uh, surgery. My neck was uh, got full vertebra, got a little bit of fracture, but uh, mostly uh, it's a ligament stuff, which uh, it's going to take time. But uh, hopefully uh, be back in two, three months time. Uh, we'll try to be back for sure uh, before the Champions Day, which is uh, April 28th in Hong Kong. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'm, you know, aiming to come back before that. Uh, still doing a lot of uh, rehab work and also uh, a lot of fitness that to uh, maintain my my level of fitness so uh, once the neck it's uh, right to train then i will uh, go for it on the for the neck and i don't you know need to build too much on on my fitness which uh, which i'm trying to maintain now yeah 
Well, that this is this is all this this is all good news and working work yeah working working towards that that April date with 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 Golden Sixty. He's had a little little issue as well. Is he is he on track as well? If the pair of you can make it to to the date that matters at the back end of April, then I think everyone's going to be very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, the whole team is trying to manage uh, Golden Sixty, and uh, hopefully. He can be back, but we're still not sure because it's on and off, you know. Uh, you know, for for horse also uh, have some injury. It's gonna be like like me at the moment. It's gonna especially some soft tissue uh, injury. It's gonna take time, uh, and and at the moment it's still on and off sometimes. So uh, of course we we do our best, but. You know, it's uh, most importantly is his health and the well-being of uh, himself. Uh, if, of course, if he's not well, we'll we'll rather retire him. Uh, but of course, he's a horse that loves racing so much. So we we want to keep him racing, uh, keep him happy at the same time, and not to injure him. Uh, of course, if anything uh, happen or. Uh, he he's telling us, you know, the the well-being of himself is not uh, is not recovering for this season. Then we might just retire him. We won't keep him. Probably won't keep him for next season. Uh, but of course, if he want to raise, and it's gonna take time. Of course, even when he's nine for the international, he he will be very competitive. But uh, you know, soft tissue is gonna take a long time to recover. And we don't want to risk anything and we don't want to push him too much. Vincent Ho there, whose recovery is pleasingly moving along slightly more predictable lines than that of his regular partner, Golden 60. And his affection for his great friend, plain for all to hear there. Now, I do like somebody who loves a challenge and and this is one okay. Uh, Isabella Leslie is a social media coordinator for America's Best Racing a lot of you will be familiar with what ABR do, but if you're not, it's really the marketing and promotional arm of US horse racing and a, a massive content generator as well. And uh, Isabella spent quite a bit of time working with Mark Cassie during a really important period of his training career when he was going from very good to even better and has spent quite a bit of time in the UK as well, but is now come via the UK from her home in America to Dubai to take up a challenge of an altogether different nature. Uh, Bella, just tell us what you're doing. So I'm in Dubai for a camel race. It's the all-women's camel race, and I'll be the first female American to do it. The all-women camels race. Well, how did you find out about it? How were you approached, and how did this all come together? So when I was in Dubai two years ago for Super Saturday, I met Linda, who manages the whole thing, and several people in racing knew her, so that's how I got connected. And we actually did a shoot with her for ABR, just kind of about things to do in Dubai, and that's when they mentioned the race to me, and they're like, oh, you could be the first female American camel jockey, and I was like, whatever, like, you know what I mean? It's not something you think of, but it actually is a big thing over here. Um, It is the first ever females race and it's a lot of expats that ride in it and um yeah so two years later here i am (laughs) so are you you effectively a one woman team usa then you've got the entire country the entire continent behind you i guess (laughs) you're gonna put the pressure on me that way but yeah that would be um that'd be what's going on so all right so how many camels in this race 
It depends. Sometimes there's up to 10. So it just kind of fluctuates. There's a race every month. So I'm not sure exactly. I would say, you know, seven to 10 in this race. All right. Have you ridden a camel before? I have, but I haven't done for the race. You have to break from a gate. You have to gallop and all of that. So I'm here two weeks early because you have to get licensed through the camel track. So training starts this afternoon and um, I'm off to the races from there. And what are you expecting? Because you're you're very accomplished on horseback. Uh, is it is it difficult to ride a camel? Is it more difficult to ride a camel? I, I have no idea. I mean, it looks it. It's quite strange. They're not comfortable. They're very rough. Um, at the trot, it's very bumpy, and they actually have you like swing your legs, which to me, I was an equitation rider. That's the opposite of what you want to do. But the swinging of your legs next to the camel helps you kind of stay in balance. And then when you're galloping them, your legs are actually tucked up under you. So that's quite different. And then you have one rein, basically. They don't have a bit. It's just like a... Um, a halter on their heads and then you have a stick which is not used to whip them or anything but basically say your rein is on the left side if you need them to turn to the left you pull that left rein but if you want them to go the other direction you use the stick and they kind of shy their head from it and that's their signal to turn so completely different than riding a horse and is this i presume this is going to be documented for our enjoyment Yes, they're working on doing a live stream. There's tons of media, local Dubai media, CNN International actually has been before. So I don't know who's going to be there exactly, um, but they're working on a live stream. And then we also have videographers and everyone out, photographers getting footage of the race. And it's quite cool because it's um, a straight track. So there's a road next to it and cars will start at the, you know, they'll stop at the gate. And when the race goes off, they'll drive alongside the track during the race and people honk their horns and cheer and all of that so it's quite cool uh, now i mean uh, clearly this is an awful lot more challenging than uh, me doing a donkey derby when i was eight years old or whatever but um i always felt with that you know you just needed to get on the donkey that could run the fastest i know it sounds very straightforward have you got a bit of inside track on which camel you need to be getting on I do not yet. I'm hoping to start today kind of figuring it out, but I believe it's kind of luck of the draw, so you don't really have a choice. It's just who you end up on and hope for the best. No such thing, I'd say. You just need to start networking, but you're good at that. Um, best, of, best of luck, and I can't wait to see it. February the 24th, the C1 Camel Racing Championship, all-female Isabella Leslie representing the USA and, of course, taking place in Dubai. Uh, Bella, thanks so much. Of course. Thank you. All right, great stuff. As always from all my guests today, including Lee Mottishead, who has a tip for you for today, or at least I hope you do. I have indeed, Nick. I'm going to Plumpton. Sadly, not literally, because who doesn't enjoy a Monday afternoon at Plumpton? But I'm tipping there in the 4.15. It's a handicap hurdle over two and a half miles. And local trainer Andy Irvine always does well at the trek, as does Birdman Bob, who's a Plumpton regular, and I think will be winning the 4.15 this afternoon. Birdman Bob, 4.15 at Plumpton. Lee, thanks so much for your time. Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post. That was Monday, February the 12th. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs. <laughs>